This is Radio Maria England, and we now present Poetry for the Season, Lent, with poet Sally Reed. Welcome to Poetry for the Season. I'm Sally Reed, and I'm speaking to you from just outside Rome. Well, we are into the drama of Lent. I love this time of year, because walking through the last weeks of Christ's mission, we can realise all over again who he was, what he came to do, what he asks of us, and perhaps even how things might have looked without him. That cyclical relationship with God, of him seeming far away, then him being very close, then things getting distorted between him and humanity, then resolving and hope triumphing, This cycle is played out through the Bible, through every liturgical year, and in every soul pretty much every day. Our relationship with him is dynamic, alive, visceral, as well as spiritual. I want to share some poems with you today that look at that living relationship, God's hunger for us, our hunger for him. This week, we're walking towards the incident of the moneylenders in the temple when Jesus became so enraged and drove them out with a whip of cords. Much has been written about that incident and what it meant. But it seems to me that ultimately it's about what kind of sacrifice God is looking for. Since the fall, sacrifice has been the vehicle of our interaction with God. At first it was bulls and goats and doves. Then God stepped in and gave himself in the form of his only son. So we're not called on to take gold or animals to the temple. We're called on to celebrate his sacrifice and to bring something else, ourselves. What God wants from us is quite simple, really. He wants us. He doesn't want hollow gestures or substitutes or surrogates or for us to make money off the back of ritual. He wants the real thing. So... I want to begin with a very famous and also very sad poem. It's sad because it really speaks about that broken pact with God and that sense of God being far away because of our faithlessness, our not giving ourselves. As I look out of the window here, I can see the very calm and blue Tyrrhenian sea. This first poem is also about the sea, but the much blustier English Channel. Matthew Arnold was one of the greatest of the Victorian poets, and this is his most famous poem. It's been quoted in novels by people as diverse as P.D. James, Philip Roth, Joseph Heller, Walker Percy, Joyce Carol Oates, and has been the subject of poems actually too numerous to mention. It's even been quoted in the American Supreme Court. So somehow this poem speaks deeply to us across centuries. Why? Well, it's a brilliant poem. Evocative, sensual, vivid. It cleverly creates sounds and images through language. It's very sad, even though it was, some think, written or at least begun on the poet's honeymoon. It evokes human misery and confusion. Fundamentally, as I say, it's a poem that laments the world's broken faith. Let's hear it. Dover Beach, 
by Matthew Arnold. The sea is calm tonight. The tide is full. The moon lies fair upon the straits. On the French coast, the light gleams and is gone. The cliffs of England stand, glimmering and vast, out in the tranquil bay. Come to the window, sweet is the night air. Only, from the long line of spray, where the sea meets the moon-blanched land, listen, you hear the grating roar of pebbles which the waves draw back and fling at their return up the high strand. Begin and cease, and then again begin, with tremulous cadence slow, and bring the eternal note of sadness in. Sophocles, long ago, heard it on the Aegean, and it brought into his mind the turbid ebb and flow of human misery. We find also in the sound a thought hearing it by this distant northern sea. The sea of faith was once too at the full and round earth's shore, lay like the folds of a bright girdle furled. But now I only hear its melancholy, long, withdrawing roar, retreating to the breath of the night wind down the vast edges drear and naked shingles of the world. Ah, love, let us be true to one another. For the world, which seems to lie before us like a land of dreams, so various, so beautiful, so new, hath really neither joy, nor love, nor light, nor certitude, nor peace, nor help for pain. And we are here, as on a darkling plain, swept with confused alarms of struggle and flight, where ignorant armies clash by night. Wow! There are so many memorable and much-quoted lines here. The sea is calm tonight. We are here as on a darkling plain, where ignorant armies clash by night. He says that the sea of faith was once too at the full and round earth's shore, but now he only hears its melancholy, long, withdrawing roar. So he's conjuring a time when people felt held by their faith, when faith was the anchor of life, when there was tranquillity. I don't know. When was that? As Catholics, we might say it was pre-Reformation, but I don't think that's an adequate response. When was that time of peace and well-being people often hark back to? The Middle Ages? The Reformation? The Victorian era? The 20th century? At the risk of sounding too bleak, I think there's horror, blasphemy and lack of faith in every age. But there's also heroism, good and shining faith in every age. Perhaps the drama we need to focus on is in our own souls. Do we feel that we're on a darkling plane? Is our relationship with God hollow, like the moneylenders in the temple? Has it become dry and automatic? Have we forgotten the essential sacrifice? Well, the good news is that there is good news. 
But before we get to it, let's check in with another great poet, this time from one of the most desperate episodes in history. Wilfred Owen, as you might know, was a poet of the First World War. For my money, he was the best, although not everyone thought his poems worthwhile. W.B. Yeats, for one, was very snooty about them and found them too bloody and graphic. Wilfred certainly looked long and hard at war and its suffering. He was incredibly brave, going voluntarily back to the front after suffering shell shock and receiving the military cross for his actions. He died a week before Armistice Day. In fact, they say that his mother received the news of his death just as the bells were ringing out for victory. Wilfred was an Anglican, and he looks very hard at sacrifice and our relationship with God in this poem. It really is an answer to people who blame God for human suffering. It speaks about the Old Testament account of Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac, his son. The Parable of the Old Man and the Young by Wilfred Owen. So Abram rose and clave the wood and went, and took the fire with him and a knife. And as they sojourned, both of them together, Isaac the firstborn spake and said, My father, behold the preparations, fire and iron, but where the lamb for this burnt offering? Then Abram bound the youth with belts and straps, and builded parapets and trenches there, and stretched forth the knife to slay his son, when, lo, an angel called him out of heaven, saying, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do anything to him. Behold, a ram caught in a thicket by its horns, offer the ram of pride instead of him. But the old man would not so, but slew his son, and half the seed of Europe, one by one. Oh gosh, shattering. Man kills man, of course. We break our bonds with God time and time again. It's interesting, isn't it, that the ram in the bushes that God would prefer him to sacrifice is the ram of pride. Pride is responsible for so much suffering, so many wars. But let's not get down. Let's look and see what we can do. I wonder if you know the 17th century poet Robert Herrick. His poems seem much more modern than the 17th century and are quite light in a way. Herrick was a cleric as well as a poet and wrote lots of seize the day type poetry. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may and all that. Here is his advice about how to keep a true Lent. To Keep a True Lent by Robert Herrick Is this a fast to keep the larder lean and clean from fat of veals and sheep? Is it to quit the dish of flesh yet still to fill the platter high with fish? Is it to fast an hour, or ragged to go, or show, a downcast look and sour? No, tis a fast to dole thy sheaf of wheat and meat unto the hungry soul. 
It is to fast from strife, from old debate and hate, to circumcise thy life. To show a heart grief-rent, to starve thy sin, not bin, and that's to keep thy Lent. <laughs> I love it. Great advice. We need to fast from strife and old debate and hate. There's no point giving up meat on Fridays if we stuff ourselves with the finest fish instead. We need to circumcise our lives. Let's make our sacrifices meaningful, not hollow. Because what it all boils down to is giving ourselves. The allegory of God and man as bride and bridegroom stretches right back to the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament. And of course, this intensifies, if anything, with the coming of Christ, the bridegroom incarnate. John Donne, sublime preacher and poet, is very well known for his love poems, his good morrow to our waking souls and love's growth. But after much suffering and a difficult relationship with religion, his writing changed. His family were recusants. This was a time when being Catholic was illegal in England, and his brother was arrested for harbouring a Catholic priest and died in Newgate Prison of bubonic plague. Later, Dunn renounced Catholicism and even wrote anti-Catholic pamphlets. He became an Anglican priest at the behest of King James I and had twelve children with his wife, but two were stillborn and three died before they were ten. His daughter Lucy died when she was eighteen, and then his wife died. All of that, coupled with his own illness, made Dunn's later poetry even more intense, and all of his passion became fixed on God. Here is one of his holy sonnets. It's rich with the imagery of marriage between God and believer, and in some ways it's quite shocking. So listen well. From the Holy Sonnets, Batter My Heart, Three-Personed God, by John Donne. Batter my heart, three-personed God, for you, as yet but knock, breathe, shine, and seek to mend. That I may rise and stand, or throw me and bend your force to break, blow, burn, and make me new. I, like a usurped town to another due, labour to admit you, but oh, to no end. Reason, your viceroy in me, me should defend, but is captived and proves weak or untrue. Yet dearly I love you, and would be loved fain, but am betrothed unto your enemy. Divorce me, untie or break that knot again, Take me to you, imprison me, for I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free, nor ever chaste, except you ravish me. <laughs> wow, and that really says it all. We just need to give our hearts. It's shocking if you think about it. He compares himself to a usurped town. He wants to be taken captive, to be ravished by God. He's asking God to break, bend and burn him to make him new. We don't hear this kind of thing these days, do we? <laughs> but actually, the mystical relationship is dramatic and intense. 
Ironically, Dunn used similar ideas and images when he wrote about women in his earlier years. In On His Mistress Going to Bed, he writes the famous lines, O oh, my America, my newfound land, my kingdom, safeliest, when with one man manned, my mine of precious stones, my empire how blessed am I in this discovering thee. To enter in these bonds is to be free. Then, where my hand is set, my seal shall be. Modern critics have had a bit of trouble with that. The patriarchal, colonial domination theme in relation to seducing a woman and all the rest. But actually, when Dunn writes of God, he puts himself in that feminine position. Because women are, in essence and nature, more receptive than men. And we are all called on to be receptive in our relationship with God, to give ourselves. While we're talking of love and self-giving, I cannot not read this little poem by the great Irish poet W.B. Yeats. Yeats is a giant, isn't he? And through his career he was by turns spiritual, political and romantic, with a capital R as well as a small one. For most of his life, he loved Maud gone, but she rejected all of his proposals of marriage. This short and beautiful poem is to her and is a classic. And in the context of all we've been talking about, it makes me think of the sacrifice we gladly make for those we love. He Wishes for the Cloths of Heaven by W.B. Yeats had I the heavens embroidered cloths, Inwrought with golden and silver light, The blue and the dim and the dark cloths Of night and light and the half-light, I would spread the cloths under your feet. But I, being poor, have only my dreams. I have spread my dreams under your feet. Tread softly because you tread on my dreams. I'd like to end now on an odd little poem by Stephen Crane, the 19th century novelist, short story writer, and war reporter. Crane was a trailblazer in a literary sense. His novel Maggie, which depicts the reality of life in the slums of New York, was considered so shocking at the time that he struggled to get it published. He only published one book of poems, but these were very innovative for their time, stripped bare of sentimentality and very individual. His dad was a Methodist minister and his mum wrote religious articles, so religion was always present in Crane's worldview and his writing, even though his outlook was always rather bleak. But this poem is not bleak, and really it speaks for itself. In Heaven, by Stephen Crane. In heaven, some little blades of grass stood before God. What did you do? Then all save one of the little blades began eagerly to relate the merits of their lives. This one stayed a small way behind, ashamed. Presently, God said, and what did you do? The little blade answered, O oh my Lord, memory is bitter to me, 
for if I did good deeds, I know not of them. Then God, in all his splendour, arose from his throne. O best little blade of grass, he said. So lovely, and a good reminder that God doesn't ask for greatness. And if we don't feel we are great, that's a very good sign. You are enough. You have done more than you know. The drama on the darkling plain all too often plays out in our own souls. And the tide that roars as it draws across the stones is the sound of our drawing away from God and drawing to him. Let's be faithful, as we would to anyone who we love. The story down the centuries doesn't change, does it? From Dunn's ecstasy in post-Reformation England, to Arnold's disquiet in Victorian England, to Wilfred Owen's despair at the start of the 20th century. Our job is learning how to be like Crane's blade of grass, to trust in our being. Remember, God is a poet, and you are a beautiful and essential part of his poem. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us on Radio Maria England with Poetry for the Season Lent, presented by Sally Reed. This episode will be rebroadcast on Tuesday at 9.30am and again at 11.15pm, on Wednesday at 1pm and 8pm, on Saturday at 5.30am and 2pm, and Sunday at 1am. You can also hear this as a podcast on our website, radiomariaengland.uk or on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify and other podcast providers. Please do subscribe.